0: Hello, my name is Kelly Kelly. Welcome to the NICU Now audio support series. I am a NICU parent to Jackson, a micro preemie born at 24 weeks, and Lauren, a late-term preemie born at 34 weeks. I am also the founder and executive director of Hand to Hold, a national nonprofit dedicated to providing education, resources, and peer-to-peer support to families that have experienced premature birth, the loss of a baby, or have a child with a special health care need. Handholds NICU Now Audio Support Series was developed to help NICU parents navigate their NICU journey. During your NICU journey, you may have heard the NICU doctor or nurse describe premature birth as fetal development interrupted. This phrase accurately describes why premature babies face developmental challenges. Because their development has been interrupted. Over the years, countless research has gone into how to address these developmental challenges, one area of research being the benefits of a human milk diet. There are a multitude of advantages to premature babies having an exclusive human milk diet consisting of mother's milk, pasteurized human donor milk, and a human milk-based fortifier for those low birth weight premature infants. Essentially, human breast milk is vital medicine for premature babies. Here to discuss this with us is Dr. Melinda Elliott. Dr. Elliott joined Prolacta in 2016 as Senior Director of Clinical Education and Professional Development and is currently the Chief Medical Officer or CMO. As CMO, she serves as the voice of the patient, working to ensure that the needs of premature infants are being articulated and that the relevant treatment and product opportunities are identified. She also continues to serve as a clinical neonatologist with the Mednax Medical Group. Dr. Elliott earned her medical degree from West Virginia University School of Medicine and trained and taught extensively at the University of Florida. After holding professional and clinical positions at the Johns Hopkins Hospital, Union Memorial Hospital, and Franklin Square Hospital Center, Dr Elliot joined the faculty at the Herman and Walker Samuelson Children's Hospital at Sinai in Baltimore and the Mennax Medical Group. Dr. Elliot has committed her career to the care of vulnerable premature infants and has researched the benefits of an exclusive human milk-based diet for extremely low birth weight premature infants in the NICU. She has investigated breastfeeding practices of mothers of very low birth weight infants, including micropremies. And her clinical research is published in academic journals.
1: Melinda, thank you so much for joining
2: us today for our podcast. We're delighted to have you. Kelly, thank you so much for asking me to do this. As, as I think you know, parents are the most valuable resource we have in the NICU for these little babies. And I want every parent to know as much as he or she can about what's happening with their baby. Well, I know you are such a
1: champion for Nikki family, so we just appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us today. And with that, I'm just going to jump right in. I want you to talk to us about premature birth being considered fetal development interrupted. I have heard this term uh, over the past decade, fetal development interrupted. Can you tell us what does that mean?
2: Well, it's actually a, a really good description of what happens because, as you know, babies that are born very early miss most or even all of the last trimester of pregnancy. And and I suspect most people know that pregnancy is divided into trimesters. That's how at least the obstetricians think about it. And, you know, the first trimester is when mom may have a lot of morning sickness, but not gain too much weight or anything. The second trimester usually moms feel pretty good, the baby's developing organs and and actually forming those organs in the first and second trimester. And then the third trimester is when those organs develop. So this last trimester is a very, very important time in the baby's development. And it's it's often the last third of pregnancy that is missed if a baby is born very early. And so while the baby has all those organs present, most still have a tremendous amount of maturation or development to still do. For example, from about 22 to 23 weeks of gestation or less than six months um, until full term, which is 39 weeks or so, uh, or nine months, the baby's lungs, start to form actual tubes first that can exchange air or or move oxygen in and out and carbon dioxide out. And, And then after that, they form air sacs. And this normal lung growth is super important for these babies to be able to actually breathe air rather than for mom to still take care of the, quote, breathing through the placenta. But also, the eyes are very immature when a baby's born very early. The back of the eye or the retina, where we see from basically, needs to develop. And, and again, the third trimester is a very important time for this development. Any problems that occur during this time can lead to vision problems. And the intestine, likewise, just like everything else, is also very immature. It, it too has to grow and develop properly. And, And then, of course, lastly, but in my mind, perhaps most importantly, the baby's brain is growing at an incredibly rapid rate. Between 25 weeks and 40 weeks, which many of these small babies are born at this time, that brain mass or the size or weight of the brain increases every 48 hours. 250,000 nerve cells or neurons form every minute and 1.8 million connections between those nerve cells form every second. And, and this all has the potential to be interrupted if a baby is born too early or something happens.
1: That is a wonderful explanation, and I think just so
2: important, because I know before I had
1: a baby uh, born early, you know I, I thought of prematurity as just being a small, tiny baby, so maybe more uh, related to weight gain, then I really understood about all the organ development, all the brain uh, maturity that needed to happen, all the things that were taking place in those uh, last months or weeks um, for a late-term preemie even, uh, needing that extra time for fetal development. So thank you so much for kind of going more in-depth with us about that. I know that nutrition is critical for these fragile premature infants can you talk to us a little bit about why what they're eating is so important
2: during this stage absolutely Um, when babies are born very early they need more energy than full-term babies just simply to survive Um, simply being premature causes these little babies to need 20 to 40 percent more nutrition than a typical full-term infant but surviving is not enough. Premature babies need to thrive. And for them to grow and develop appropriately, they need even more nutrition. And while mother's milk is absolutely the best nutrition for her premature baby, no matter how hard any mom tries, her milk alone is not enough to support all the growth and development that has to happen for this very premature baby. And that is why the American Academy of Pediatrics, or the AAP, recommends adding a fortifier to either mother's milk or donor human milk while the baby is in the NICU to really give the baby the nutrition he or she needs to maximize their potential. Okay, so when I'm hearing doctors
1: say and nurses say that milk is medicine, it is because this nutrition is so important for uh, the baby's continued growth and development. Is there anything more you would wanna add to
2: why we are referring to milk as medicine? Oh yes, absolutely, that's such a great question. It, it is is widely known that breast milk is the best source of food for all newborns for so many different reasons. But for premature babies, especially small premature babies, breast milk truly is an absolutely vital medicine. As I said before, mom's milk has to be fortified for the baby to grow and develop appropriately. It's important for your listeners to know that there are actually two types of fortifiers available. It's not just milk that's medicine, it's human milk that's medicine. And there are two types of fortifiers, one's made from human milk and one is made from cow's milk. And it's critical that babies born very early not be exposed to cow's milk in the first few weeks because unfortunately, cow milk, while the easiest type of milk to get, the exposure to cow milk is linked to severe and life-threatening complications. So only fortifiers made from all human milk added to either mother's milk or donor human milk can decrease these rates of complications. So babies who don't get cow milk have a lower risk of something called necrotizing enterocolitis, for example. And necrotizing enterocolitis, or NEC for short, is the most common and serious inflammatory disease in the intestine that happens to premature babies. And what happens is that tissue in the small intestine or large intestine in the gut is injured, and it might even begin to die off. We know that cow milk is associated with increased risks of other dangerous conditions, things like bacterial infections that occur after the first few days of life, something called late-onset sepsis, or bronchopulmonary dysplasia, or BPD, which is a lung disorder that is associated with tiny babies who still need breathing help after premature birth cow's milk is also associated with a higher incidence of something called a pda or patent ductus arteriosus which is something that sounds super simple it's a blood vessel that is normally in the baby it is open when the baby is still inside its mother's uterus and it's supposed to close right after birth but when babies are born very very early this vessel often either doesn't close properly or it reopens and that can cause problems with the baby's blood pressure, or with the lungs, or the heart, or the intestines. And then, even cow's milk is associated with that retinopathy of prematurity or that retina development problem, something shortened as ROP, that can also occur. It's an eye disease associated with very small infants that, if not treated appropriately, can even lead to blindness. So, the thing about it is that something as simple as the nutritional Fortification of a very tiny baby can help decrease all these horrible risks. Um, so, let me just sneak a question in here, real
1: quick, because I, I want to def- define um, when we're talking about um, these fragile babies. So, um, Melinda, I'm going to jump in there, and I just was hoping you would go back for just a minute. When we are talking about how important nutrition is for these babies, And then we're we're talking about how important it be uh, that the fortifier be human milk, not cow's milk. I I do know that we have talked very specifically about um, the weight of these babies, the gestation of these babies. So when you're talking, I know it's important for all babies, but their research is very specific on a certain weight of baby, so can you talk about the population that is most at risk that is really needing only human milk?
2: Absolutely, that's a super question. Um, the population that all the studies have been done in and feeding babies and looking at the risks of cow milk really applied to babies who are born at less than 29 weeks gestation, or are less than twelve hundred and fifty grams at birth which is just a little under three full pounds
1: okay thank you for clarifying that because I do know that that's the most at-risk population that we're talking about I do think um, human milk is medicine and it is important for all babies but I wanted to clarify specifically that very critical uh, medically fragile population so I wanted to talk to you about microbiome Uh, I don't want to be too scientific I know we hear a lot of terms medical terms when we're in the NICU and sometimes it can get very confusing so we hear the word microbiome a lot so for those of us who are not scientists not into biology talk to me a little bit about what does this mean microbiome and the developing
2: gut Absolutely. You are so right. We are hearing microbiome from every area that you go. Um, So very simply, the microbiome is something we all have, and it's in our intestines, and it are bacteria or germs. Um, We can have good combinations of bacteria, which means we have a healthy microbiome. We can have some bad players in there, some bad germs, and that can lead in an adult or older child to things like, oh, bad gas or abdominal pain or diarrhea, things like that. The interesting thing is that when babies are born, while their, their intestines or their guts are not completely sterile, there are a few bacteria in there they pick up bacteria as soon as they're born. And it's very, very important that that they pick up the right bacteria. And that, if you pick up the right bacteria, then you're forming what is known as a healthy microbiome. So the microbiome is hugely important. When babies are born, they have relatively few bacteria in their intestines or gut, but they very quickly acquire more bacteria. We know from full-term infants and studies of full-term infants that babies get the majority of the germs, the good germs, from their moms, from breastfeeding, from the actual act of breastfeeding and from receiving breast milk. These bacteria that these babies grow make up what we call the microbiome. And you're right. We're hearing a ton about microbiome these days. There's new research coming out every day. We know that abnormalities in the microbiome or growing the wrong kinds of bacteria, what I like to think of as bad bacteria, can lead to both short and long-term problems. And if these bad bacteria overgrow these good bacteria, at best, this can lead to something called feeding intolerance. And when a little baby has feeding intolerance, you see things like vomiting, diarrhea, a distended belly, and blood in the stool. At worst, babies can go on to develop necrotizing enterocolitis, that serious disease of the baby's intestine that I mentioned. And wait, I'm to
1: jump in there. I wanna jump in there, Melinda, because necrotizing enterocolitis is a big word. It's a scary word. Um, and we also hear it called neck. So I just wanna make sure the parents make that connection. Necrotizing enterocolitis is also referred to as neck. And so that is the very serious complication that we are seeing in our uh, micro preemie and preemie population uh, that we believe is um, very connected to the microbiome. Did I explain that correctly?
2: Absolutely. That's perfect. Neck is absolutely associated with, and here's the big word, it's called intestinal dysbiosis. But all that means is that the microbiome has more bad bacteria than good bacteria it's actually pretty simple we don't have to use those monster words Um, also to me what's very interesting is that we do know that abnormalities in the microbiome in other words too many of those bad bacteria actually is tied to problems long term in children things like Crohn's disease and diabetes and bad neurologic development and most likely many more things. We're learning new things every day about the microbiome. One thing for sure, though, is that human milk helps develop a good microbiome. And we know that human milk helps develop the immune system in the intestine in these babies. We know that breast milk contains special sugars called human milk oligosaccharides or HMOs. And all of these things really help promote development of a healthy microbiome and immune system. And they also interestingly provide a supplemental resource to help brain development in babies. So it's really important to get human milk both to grow a good microbiome and to develop appropriately.
1: Well, I've heard you give this presentation before and I, I was actually just stunned of how little I really understood about human milk and its many different components. So I, I'm not going to ask you to go into that hour lecture, but if you could just talk a little bit about the different components of human milk and how they protect the baby, because it really is, when we talk about it as being milk as medicine, I just had really no Deep understanding. I've always been told that breastfeeding is best and we are encouraged to breastfeed, but I didn't understand how many different levels and components make
2: up this
1: human milk. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: You bet. It's amazing, actually. The more I learn about it, I learn something new every day, even though I've dedicated my career pretty much to this. But breast milk contains so many components that protect small babies and help them grow. And the things that are in Fresh mother's milk include things like live cells. There are living cells that go into the, um, into the baby, white blood cells, stem cells. There are over a 1,000 proteins. Human milk oligosaccharides, or HMOs, as I just mentioned, enzymes that help the baby digest the milk, growth factors that help the intestine to grow and help the baby to grow, hormones, vitamins, minerals, antibodies, which help prevent infection, Special types of fat, um, something called a microRNA, which are little pieces of genetic material that help to turn genes on and off. Uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing what's in human milk. And all of these compounds and cells are there for a purpose, to help this baby grow and develop to his or her fullest potential. And not only does breast milk contain all these things, the actual composition of an individual mother's milk changes over time. And moms of premature infants have different milk from moms of term infants and a mother of a premature infant when she's pumping at birth is different from when she's pumping at a week or two weeks or three weeks the milk changes over time to me it's truly amazing and it's a miracle drug
1: it truly is our bodies are truly truly amazing and how all of this uh happens without even really our knowledge of what is truly happening so i thank you for sharing this so we are better um, educated about why human milk is so important and why pumping and breastfeeding, even though it's so difficult many times in the NICU, is just so important for our babies. So uh, you talked about the different components. Is there any one component that's more abundant or more important? You talked a little bit about the
2: HMOs. Is there anything more that you would want to add to that? Absolutely. So the most abundant component the largest thing in human milk is actually lactose and it's funny because we talk about being lactose intolerant and everything else human babies by and large none of them are lactose intolerant at birth occasionally extremely rarely once a baby hits full term there may be a child who can't tolerate lactose but a premature infant at the ages that we're talking about it is Almost unheard of to truly be lactose intolerant. Human milk is predominantly lactose. But honestly, lactose is simply some calories that are in that milk and and it simply serves as a sugar to help the baby get calories. The other components in the milk, particularly things like the oligosaccharides or the HMOs, human milk oligosaccharides, you'll hear a lot about that in the literature and I did briefly mention them. The thing about HMOs that's amazing is that I think they may be one of the secret ingredients that give breast milk its many health benefits beyond basic nutrition. You've probably heard people talk about probiotics. Those are bacteria that you take in a pill or a tablet or a little liquid or whatever that give you the good bacteria to help colonize your gut. Well, interestingly, HMOs are something called prebiotics. And these prebiotics actually feed the good bacteria in your intestines to help build that healthy microbiome. But not only do they feed the, the intestinal good germs, they are the third most abundant component in human milk. There's a ton of them. There, there are up to 200 different HMOs in human milk. Not every woman makes all 200. Some women make more, some women make less. But interestingly, these HMOs all have different roles. Some, yes, service food for those good bacteria, but they also do other things. For instance, some of them actually attach to bad bacteria so that those bad bacteria can't then invade into the intestine and get into the baby. The baby just poops them out. Another type of HMO will actually help find those intestinal cells in that very tiny baby when that baby's first born, those intestinal cells don't stick together real well. They have what we call loose junctions. So HMOs, certain HMOs, actually help bind those cells together so, again, germs can't invade. Other things they do is they actually um, serve as decoys, uh, like you think about ducks, out, you know, fake ducks out on a pond. These HMOs float around and the bacteria think, oh, that's what I want to attach to. And then they bind to them. And again, the baby poops them out. It's just amazing what HMOs do for babies. So I know when I heard you speak before, we talked about
1: why it's so important for us, for the babies to have, you know, receive as many of these components as possible and the kind of difference that we're looking at when we are looking at human milk from the mom and then we're looking at donor milk in the process of pasteurization uh, for donor milk and then when we're, of course, looking at cow-based fortifiers. So talk to us a little bit about are we losing some of these properties, some of these things that are really important when we're using donor milk?
2: Well, that's a yes and a no. Um, So first of all, there's no question mom's milk is best. And that's because if you pasteurize milk to make it safe, donor milk, then you will kill the cells, the live cells that are in there. Um, You also, however, eliminate the risk of infections such as hepatitis or HIV or syphilis. Some of the enzymes are decreased when you pasteurize. Um, to me, though, it's a, it's a worthy trade-off because I don't want any risk that my patient is going to get any infectious disease. Um, so pasteurization is a necessary process. However, things like IgA, which is um, an immunoglobulin that helps protect the intestine, that is pretty much conserved with pasteurization another protein called lactoferrin which is a, a good protein for babies to get that is conserved to a good extent the HMOs survive pasteurization just fine so they're all there um, the other thing about HMOs is that like I said some moms make some and some moms make others there is some evidence that Missing certain HMOs can actually increase a baby's risk of neck or necrotizing enterocolitis. Um, the thing about using this all-human milk fortifier is that there's a full spectrum of HMOs in there, so it really just complements whatever mom's got. Um, pasteurized milk, I believe, is, is the best way to go. Right now, there are other ways to process milk out there. Uh, we don't have a lot of data about them. We do know from a couple of small studies that these high temperature methods of cleaning up the milk, so to speak, actually break down proteins much worse than pasteurization. So I would be leery to give my patients any milk if it's not mom's milk that isn't pasteurized. I, am not, I don't have enough information yet about those other products to feel comfortable giving them to a very tiny, very premature infant.
1: Okay. I understand. Well, this is the most exciting part of uh, the questions that I wanted to talk to you about today because I just find this so fascinating. But in a previous speech, you had talked about how the mother's own milk can actually adapt to provide specific and unique health advantages for the infant. What does that mean? Does that mean that my body is responding to my baby and producing things that are specific to my baby's need at that time?
2: Yes and no. So yes, absolutely. Um, it, It does happen. If you go into labor early and you deliver early, your body makes a very different milk than it would have made had you delivered at term. In other words, the first few days of milk you make, that colostrum, the very yellow, thick stuff that first comes out, is super high in protein and super high in fat and, and is full of white blood cells and stem cells and other immune cells that really are just made for your baby. It's, there's nothing like it. But even after that, in the first week of pumping, as the what we call mature milk starts to come in, a Mother who delivered a premature baby has a higher protein value in her milk than a mother that delivers a full-term baby. So that's a huge adjustment that a woman's body makes in delivering a preterm baby. In addition, there's probably a lot we don't know about the individual thing. Remember those microRNAs I mentioned that turn genes on and off? It is very likely that mom is making microRNAs that really help her baby to turn the right genes on and off for her baby it's just the most amazing thing and the only thing that's that makes me sad is that no matter how hard she tries there's not enough protein and enough fat and that's why it has to be fortified but just getting what mom can make is critical if it can be done well that's just
1: fascinating to me and and it just makes me feel so good because i know that as the mom of a premature infant, not, it's not just me, as many women I've talked to, we feel a sense of guilt that we weren't able to carry our babies to term and we often don't feel like a mom and feel connected and bonded to our baby. But in fact, our body is responding and and producing exactly what they need and how important that is uh, for our role as a mom to know that um, that continues and that our milk is so important for them. So thank you for helping me understand that at a different level. Now, I also know that you are just a huge champion and proponent of healthy moms to breastfeed because you are so aware uh, and very empathetic about the challenges of pumping and breastfeeding in the NICU. So I just wanted you to share some of those pearls of wisdom that I've heard you talk about and share before about our fragile moms in the NICU and how what a hard process this is. What can they do to get the support they need so they can provide this medicine for their babies?
2: You are so right. It's it's so critical, and and the support that moms get is so variable from NICU to NICU to NICU. And so there are most NICUs have lactation consultants now. Um, if if you're a mom and you're in the hospital and you have any time at all before you deliver, but you're at risk of delivering early, ask to see the lactation consultant before you deliver. If it's possible, it's not always possible, but if you have time. Ask to see that person. They'll tell you how important it is to start pumping right away if you're going to have a premature baby. If you can pump within the first hour of delivery, your milk has a much better chance of coming in faster and coming in better. Additionally, pumping every two to three hours for the first two to three days, and honestly, it's a struggle. I know it's a struggle. You're exhausted from delivery. You may be recovering from a C-section. That's where you ask for help. It's okay to ask for help. Ask the dad, ask a grandmother, ask a really good friend, ask the labor and delivery nurse or the postpartum nurse to help you pump. Unfortunately, sometimes our staff get all caught up in the day-to-day and they forget just how critically important this is and how much help mom might need. Lactation consultants are really truly a gift, but they're not always there as we need them because they're toured in many different directions. But many doctors, and particularly nurses who work in the NICU now, are trained as at least lactation consultants, not necessarily IBCLC trained, but they're at least, they can give consulting information, they can show you how to fit the flange, they can help you pump. It's also nice to ask to pump at your baby's bedside. Your baby may be so tiny that you, you aren't able to hold them right then. But if you're there by the baby pumping at the bedside, it often helps a mom to feel more connected to her baby. And any type of um, cloth that you might use that has a little milk on it, you could put in with the baby for a little while. The baby can smell your smell. He or she will know his mom. I encourage skin-to-skin care, in my opinion. There is little reason why every baby can't do skin-to-skin. With enough help, even babies that are on ventilators can do skin-to-skin. And let me just clarify what I mean by skin-to-skin in case somebody doesn't know. Um, It's when your baby is put on your chest, no clothing in between you and the baby, the baby's just wearing a little diaper, and then blankets go over top of the baby and you just kind of lay back in the chair and you just stay there and you just hold your baby on your chest. You keep the baby warm because your body temperature will do that. And that way your milk will come in better. You'll feel a better connection to your baby. And there's a lot of good data out there that it's better for the baby.
1: And I also believe that it's better for them, the parent as well. I feel oh, yeah. like uh I I really think that was very important for my emotional and mental health uh, at that time to finally get to hold my baby. Well, as we wrap up, um, I want to just acknowledge that not all women are able to produce breast milk. And so I wanted us to spend a a few minutes talking about human donor milk. I know that Sometimes um, there are concerns or worries about it being safe. So talk to us about where we are today with providing human donor milk in NICUs and and what
2: should parents know and be educated about. That's a really, really great question. Before I, I answer that, though, I really do want to say that it is so true that many moms struggle with providing enough milk. And like you said, Kelly, You feel guilty because you delivered early. That's a a big deal right there, even though, you know, everyone says, oh, don't feel guilty. It's not your fault. It doesn't matter. You still feel that way. Moms who can't make milk, they double the guilt for that. And there's many reasons why a mom can't make milk. And no woman should feel bad about that and, in fact, should be supported. Every woman deserves good lactation support. But if it doesn't work for whatever reason, then they need to – feel reassured that their babies can still receive human milk. And that takes you right to the donor milk question. Um, while mothers own milk is always preferred, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends pasteurized donor human milk when there is not enough of mom's milk. Even in the case where mom has no milk, the baby should still get all human milk. And so it's important for donor milk to come from a, from a reputable milk bank this milk should be screened it should be tested it as i said before i believe it should be pasteurized all these milk banks should have regular inspections the milk itself i believe should be tested for infectious diseases it should be tested for drugs of abuse it should be tested for signs of any additives being put in it and all of these safety precautions should be taken to ensure the quality and safety of donor milk Many milk banks really do these things, but not all, and it's important to ask about the source of the donor milk. It's important to know that the testing is done. I believe that this type of testing is necessary to make the milk the safest it can be for our smallest of patients in the NICU. Certainly never, never, never buy milk off the internet, Even milk from your best friends or family might have something in it that you're not aware of. Most people don't really know all of their family's medical history. So I would discourage that as well because there is good, safe donor milk out there.
1: Well, to me, you wrote the book, and I trust your your input and your opinion. So thank you so much for all of that information and I know that uh, you are a reliable source and it's just at at the very core, just care about the health and development of the baby. So thank you so much for sharing all this with us today. Is there anything that I neglected to ask you that you want to share with these parents who are possibly listening while they're sitting at their baby's bedside in the NICU?
2: Is there anything we missed today? I think the only thing I want to add is that there is a lot of online support. Uh, There's a ton. There are wonderful parent organizations like yours, Hand to Hold, There are plenty of great parents um, help, you know, apps even, but the most important thing to do is never feel bad about asking a question. There is no bad question. And if mom or dad has a question about lactation or actually anything else at all regarding their baby, it is important that they ask. You are never being a pain in the neck. You are never being annoying. You are Asking and advocating for your baby. If you don't get your question answered, ask it again. It is hard enough to have your baby in the NICU. You don't need extra stress by trying to guess what's the right thing to do. That is powerful. Thank you so much, because
1: Handhold so much wants parents to understand that they are powerful. And they need to advocate for their babies and we just want them to feel empowered and educated and know that it is their baby and they have every right to ask uh, these very important questions and continue to ask until they understand and feel that their questions have been fully answered and addressed so thank you so much for uh, sharing that information and all the valuable information today I think this has been incredibly informative and I also just so appreciate that you speak at my level I know there are other <laughs> parents that have medical backgrounds and probably uh, can understand all this microbiome talk and all these different things but uh, for me you just speak to me in my heart and you help me understand so thank you so much for giving of your time
2: you are welcome Kelly I really appreciate the opportunity I I believe in empowered parent leads to a much better NICU experience.
1: Well, so do we. So on that note, thank you for joining us. I hope you'll join us again down the road. And uh, I look forward to hearing you speak again at the next conference. (laughs) You're always a joy. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks, Kelly. In order for NICU babies to thrive after discharge, they need SMART, inform parents who understand their needs and are emotionally and physically capable of caring for a medically fragile child. Peer-to-peer support is an effective tool for helping parents navigate their NICU stay. Support from a caring and informed NICU graduate parent helps a new family feel more capable, confident, and ready to face the journey ahead. To request support, volunteer, or donate, please visit our website at handtohold.org.